Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise as our Creator and Redeemer. You alone are worthy of our worship and praise. It is by your hand alone that we exist as a church, and it is by your hand alone that we can walk according to your ways, giving glory to the Father through the Son and in the Spirit. It is by your hand alone that our hearts delight in your sung praises, that our souls are refreshed by your word, and that our minds and wills are invigorated by your most holy will. We exist for your glory, because in you we live and move and have our being. But we now confess that we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the desires of our own hearts. We have broken your holy law. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent. According to your promises, you have declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. O grant us, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. O Father, you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile the world to yourself. We praise and bless you for those whom you have sent in the power of the Spirit to preach the gospel to all nations. We thank you that in all parts of the earth a church exists for your glory and has been gathered together by their prayers and labors, and that in every place your servants call upon your name for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. And so, Father, we pray for our various sister churches in the Jackson area. We think of our brothers at Cleary Baptist and uh, their pastor, Ben Rogers. We think of Grace Community Church with Ryan and Dustin and their other pastors there as well. We pray for Scott Lucky at Parkway Baptist. And we pray that you would give them great influence in their gospel ministry, in their pastoral ministry. We ask that you grow their churches and to send your spirit to bring great love and service among the saints there for the kingdom, as we pray also for ourselves. We think of the various pastors and leaders who benefit from the pastors meeting that meets here at Grace, and we ask that you would provide these men good employment in welcoming churches. We pray that their ministries would flourish and your hand would be upon any downcast soul. And we pray also for ourselves. As many of us here are sick, many of our brothers and sisters have fallen ill, and they feel their weakness. We pray for the little ones and the expecting mothers. Protect our church from this affliction, O Father. We thank you for the birth of little Swayze, and that you would be with Dawson and Sydney as they adjust to parenthood. We also pray for the Pogues as they adjust back from their horrible car accident. Lord, we thank you for sparing their lives And Lord, we do ask that you would give them peace and security. And finally, Lord, we pray now for the reading and the preaching of the word of God. May you be lifted up, and may we all bow our knee to King Jesus. We ask all these things in his most holy and perfect name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Our main uh, focus will be verses 2 to 6. Verses 2 to 6, but let's start at chapter 3, verse 12. 
So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's again turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in which we can think upon our evangelistic efforts especially as you have revealed here for us in Colossians chapter 4. Father, help us as we open and understand these verses that you have called us to evangelize, not in our own power or in our own strength, but in the strength and in the fortitude of knowing that King Jesus reigns. And that is the confidence that we have in our short comfort in our evangelism. Lord, please be with us now. We ask these things in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen. Open hearts, open hands, open doors. This is the motto of the United Methodist Church, the church that I grew up in. And with the recent news of the United Methodist Church splitting, uh, it's, it's all very, very sad. Uh, I know of many individuals uh, who are quite dismayed over the split. And a lot of conservative Methodists have been looking at this motto with fresh eyes. They have been highlighting that little middle phrase, open minds, open minds, as a virtue that has caused the destruction of their denomination. Originally, open minds was a modern way to highlight the church's historic approach to evangelism, to the deep thinkers and the unchristianized nations. But unfortunately, open minds quickly warped into, a, into Christians adopting unbiblical 
views and distorting the faith. To be open-minded was not to engage critically with non-believers, but to critically hold one's faith with a grain of salt. To be open-minded meant not dealing closely with Christ. And the effects have been disastrous, as we read in our newspapers. In our passage, Paul concludes his exhortations to live as Christ's new creation in Colossians 4. As we've seen over the past few months, and it's been a while since we've all been together for Colossians, remember that Christ's renewal touches all of our lives, from our personal piety, our church relationships, our marriages and families, and our broader communities. But now Paul's final commands focus on those that seem beyond Christian influence, the lost and the outsider. And as it was for, in Paul's day, so it is for ours. The world is deluded by lies and walks in darkness, oftentimes with an open mind. But with a mind devoted to Christ, believers must evangelize as new creations. That's what I want us to see tonight. With a mind devoted to Christ, believers must evangelize as new creations, or because they are new creations. So this is what we should see tonight, brothers and sisters. With closed minds devoted to Christ alone, believers must pray for open doors, and believers must speak with open hearts. So with a mind closed and devoted to Christ, believers must pray for open doors, and we must speak with open hearts. So for our first point, with closed minds devoted on Christ, believers must pray for open doors. In verses 2 to 4, Paul asked the church for prayer in his apostolic ministry. In verse 2, Paul commands the Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. And this combination of prayer and watching is evocative of Jesus' words at the Garden at Gethsemane. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This command is Paul's final warning to not fall for the false teachers' claims. The false teachers were spreading false revelation, their own mystery, we could say, that was a danger to the church. And so the church must pray that their lies would not infiltrate and would cause them to fall away. Paul then asked for the church to pray for him and his, gospel, uh, and his fellow gospel workers in verse 3. He wants the Colossians to pray for God to open a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ. This open door imagery is Paul's favorite for effective ministry. For effective ministry. The mystery or revelation that Paul preached is the Word of truth, Christ's gospel. By faith in Christ alone, the doors of God's kingdom are open for all sinners to come in. We are to pray to God for God's rescue mission would be effective. That wherever Christ's gospel extends, the kingdom extends with it. We should pray that lost sinners may be found. And Paul gives a brief example of how to pray for him specifically. He says, on account of this gospel, I am in prison. So in verse 4, the Colossians are to pray that Paul may make the gospel clear since he must declare it. 
part of the effective gospel ministry is simply making the truths of the gospel clear and plain. For Paul, he was bound to speak not only as a Christian, but as an apostle. Paul saw himself as the very instrument for spreading the gospel across the globe to the Gentiles, even from the depths of prison. And as we know from the rest of the New Testament, Paul's ministry was really effective while he was in prison. We actually get most of the New Testament from Paul there in prison. It's a testament to the fact that God can use his workers to declare his mysteries, his revelation, his gospel to the ends of the earth, even from a prison cell. And so rather than a problem to ministry, prison was a platform for Paul's ministry. So to summarize these verses, we are to pray that the power of lies would not cause believers to wander away. And also we are to pray that the lost may enter the door of faith as they hear the gospel message effectively proclaimed from God's ordained messengers wherever they may be. We see a parallel to Paul's words in Ephesians 6. If you would, turn there with me. In Ephesians 6, there Paul is speaking of the weapons of spiritual warfare. And he says in verse 18, or rather 17, he says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul wants our prayers to be to the end of our watchful preservation or perseverance and his effective ministry. As Paul says here, the church is the kingdom of God who wages war against spiritual forces of darkness. So our prayers need to reflect the church's defensive strategy, prayers against deception and wicked influence coming in among us, and also her offensive strategy, the conversion of lost souls from the domain of darkness. That is what we should be praying, a defensive strategy and an offensive strategy. And what, this, what we should see from these verses, brothers and sisters, is that prayer is a means of grace that God uses for our spiritual good. When we pray as Paul has commanded us, the demonic powers of the old age are weakened and Christ's power advances against those evil forces by bringing more lost souls into the kingdom. It's as we saw this very morning that we should be thankful and the, the gospel proclamation is the is the message of Christ's kingdom and His coming, and that we should bring people into this good kingdom. So when we pray, we are ultimately declaring war on demonic deception. We are praying that our minds are closed to Satan and his demons. Being open-minded is not a Christian virtue, but being wise is. Our goal is not to accept any or all ways of thinking, but taking every thought captive to Christ. And when our wisdom is so regulated by Christ and His Word, we should seek those open doors with those who belong to the domain of darkness to bring them into the light. Christians should be vigilant against dark forces, yes, 
But we should never be afraid of the open doors on the other side, especially as we give it to the Lord in prayer. I think one of the dangers I see from many Christians is that they have this unhealthy and unjustified fear of non-Christians. And really, it's a fear of not knowing how to talk with unbelievers about their faith. They are scared that they will say something wrong or they won't be convincing enough. Maybe you have been in this situation yourselves. And because they are afraid of failure, open doors become a frustration rather than a joy. Brothers and sisters, maybe you have experienced this kind of anxiety when it comes to talking with unbelievers in your own life. But let me give you an idea that might change your perspective and challenge your perspective on these things. When you are afraid or anxious of unbelievers because of your poor performance or whatever you may have as not ultimately wanting to go against an unbeliever or talk about the things of God, you show that you have not taken every thought captive to Christ. Let me say it this way, Christian, you have nothing to be scared of. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His infinite might. So is the fear of man, his opinion, or even disturbing her, his time, or, or whatever it may be, is this fear of man so great that it stops you from sharing of Christ's kingdom? then dear brother, dear sister, you are believing a lie that Satan uses to convince you that your neighbor is more important than Christ's command. When you believe in the fear of man, then you will never call the lost to enter through the door of faith into Christ's kingdom. You won't. The church today is rightfully concerned about false errors creeping in from the other side. But I would venture to say that the fear of man is the real problem that the church today is facing. We should care for lost men's souls, not their opinions. We need to gain a holy disinterest in the lost man's opinion. We need to learn that disrupting men and women's normal rhythms of life with the gospel message is actually a good thing. We must believe that bringing up Christ yet again yet again, is not being intolerant or irritating. Of course, we should do this all wisely and politely, but do not let the world's definition of wisdom and manners fool you. Then you will never become, or you will never call sinners to the door of faith at all if you adopt such a view. And so, brothers and sisters, let me, let me just encourage you with this. If you see your weakness in these things, then turn your eyes to the example of the Apostle Paul. As an apostle, he asked us that we would be affected, that he would be affected for Christ's kingdom. He had to declare these things, even if it meant imprisonment. But even with such conviction as the Apostle Paul, he still prayed for effective ministry. And he was not below of asking others for prayer for himself. You see, his effectiveness was not because he was some grand communicator. He wasn't. He would tell you the same thing. 
Paul relied, however, upon the Lord's power to accomplish the task that he had given him. And so we must do the same. God does not call us to make his son known by using our own powers or abilities. No! God gives us everything that we need. His word and the conviction to use it through prayer. He gives us the means of grace that are very powerful weapons indeed. So brothers and sisters, use these means that God has given you to accomplish the task that He has signed you to. Through much prayer, you will be captivated by Christ and His kingdom, not the fear of man. And through spirit-wrought conviction, you can become effective in your evangelism. And so pray for that open door and call the lost in, knowing that Christ's salvation stands on the other side. Dear Christian, you may be a poor, lisping prophet standing at the gate. Yes, you may be. But you stand before Christ's kingdom of eternal glory. Oh, dear Christian, I'll say it again. You have nothing to fear. Go. So then, church, the church, with minds settled upon Christ alone, is to pray for open doors for gospel access, and they are to take them themselves. We are to be expectant that Christ will bring outsiders into his kingdom, and we are to do this in the manner that he has shown us. This brings us to our second point for the evening. With closed minds devoted to Christ, we must speak with open hearts. We must speak with open hearts. In verse 5 and 6, Paul commands that we speak with unbelievers in a gracious manner. In verse 5, Paul transitions from prayer for his ministry to the Colossians' own witness. He commands the church there to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Throughout his letter, wisdom has referred to Christ in contrast to the vain wisdom of the false teachers. So Paul is saying that we are to approach those outside the church with a Christian love. Not with a show of how brilliant we are or anything like that, but with a display of love for sinners that Christ has shown us. Paul further qualifies this Christ-like walk, showing us its manner, making the best use of time. Christians live in the already-not-yet-of-the-kingdom. So we are to use our time as we ultimately serve the end of the kingdom, advancing towards consummation. That's the great end goal. So every opportunity should be used to make Christ known in our walk with Him. That is how we redeem the time, so to speak. And Paul highlights an important aspect of the Christian witness in verse 6. Look there with me. Gracious speech. This grace is an attractive quality is a simple politeness or cleanness of speech. The intention of our speech is always to be the focus of benefiting others who listen to us. Paul uses the imagery there of salted food to describe how we ought to speak. Just as salt flavors our food, grace flavors our speech that makes its reception delightful rather than annoying. And we see this gracious speech as an intended result so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Just as Paul prayed, the content of their message 
was to be filled with the gospel or filled with the grace of the gospel, not just mere niceties. The end goal of their gracious manner of life was to adorn the message of God's grace so that outsiders may know of Christ. We are to reflect God's grace in our character, in our conduct, in our walk, so that ultimately others might see that walk and hear our message and so be saved. Again, in Ephesians, please turn there again with me, in Ephesians 5, we see another parallel to our passage by way of contrast. In Ephesians 5, verse 15, we read, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And again, you don't have to turn here, but 1 Corinthians 10, we see Paul highlighting the pleasure of others through his conduct in order to win them. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether, what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Again, Paul's appeal to our gracious conduct, our God-glorifying conduct, is to the end that our gospel message is adorned with a beauty that is fitting to the gospel's content. If God is gracious, merciful, and holy, so must our conduct be in our witness. Brothers and sisters, what Paul is teaching here is very simple, isn't it? All of us can agree in general. These are fairly simple principles to live by. But it's also so very easy to shirk in our day. If there are Christians who are timid due to the fear of man, there are also loud, combative Christians who play the fool in response to the world's folly. But ultimately, the weak, timid Christian and the loud, combative Christian have the exact same problem. Both truly don't believe in the power of God, nor in His Word. Let me explain. Indeed, we live in dark days, amen? We live in days in which our Christian witness is being bullied out of the public arena. And there are many Christians who become fearful and dismayed over our circumstances, rightfully so. We should be rightfully concerned over this cultural moment. Let us not downplay that. But this is where we need to be careful. The hysteria of the culture should never engender a hysteria in the church. We live exactly in the days that Paul described earlier. The days are evil. But notice that Paul doesn't call for rash reactions or grand calls to engage the culture on the culture's terms. What does he do? What does he do? He commands us simply, look carefully at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's his command. Unfortunately, there are some brothers and sisters who read these words 
as not pertaining to our cultural moment. Or they try to undermine undermine Paul's teaching by bringing in less clear, non-prescriptive text. They do eisegesis, to put it simply. But brothers and sisters, the words that we have read tonight, the verses that we have before us, and the verses that we have read in accompanying with our passage, the Word of God is plain, is it not? It's plain. It's simple. The commands that we have just read are commands to us, especially in our cultural moments. These words are plain and simple from the Apostle. And we need no cultural commentator to teach us the will of God. God speaks for Himself from His Word. Period. And so every attempt by the combative Christian to undermine these words is either a denial of Scripture's clarity or Scripture's sufficiency. That is a problem that needs to be addressed. You see, the combative Christian has just as open a mind prone to deception as the weak, timid Christian, and I'll even say it, even the liberal Because their minds aren't settled on the truth that Jesus is Lord, they take matters into their own hands rather than entrusting all things to Christ himself. Rather than seeing unbelievers rebelling against their Lord, combative Christians see unbelievers rebelling against them. They take everything personally. And in their offense, their hearts are embittered and hardened against those outsiders. How dare they! How dare they talk about Christ this way? How dare they? And so when they share the gospel, what what does it become? Repent, you sinner. It's really about telling off outsiders to get their act together. And no amount of snark dismisses speech or loveless rhetoric is off limits. Because in their minds, Christ's glory and their own glory are the same thing. And nothing dare come against their precious name. Brothers and sisters, such an attitude is the heart of the Pharisee. It is the heart of a Pharisee. In their warped mind, combative souls believe that they sit on the throne and no outsider will dare remove them. But when our minds are truly discipled according to Christ's rule and to Christ's word, we can love the unlovable. Let me say that again. When we are truly discipled by Christ and his word alone, we have the same power that Christ has shown us in his very gospel. We can love the unlovable. We can show grace to the graceless. Why? Because King Jesus has shown us his way. At his trial, Jesus was spat upon. He was ridiculed by worthless men. And he was blasphemed. God of all eternity dare suffer a curse from a worthless worm. 
and yet he did not return evil for evil. Why? Because he entrusted his soul to his father. He knew all things would be put right according to his sovereign rule. And even as Jesus suffered the agony of the cross, the most humiliating of deaths, even as he hung there, he lifted up his voice saying what? Father, destroy them, undo them, get vengeance. No. He said, our Lord said, our King said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even as he suffered at the hands of lawless men, his heart, our Christ, our Christ's heart was bent towards grace. And because his heart was bent towards grace, this King is able to save all those who come to him and humble faith. And if we, dear brothers and dear sisters, if we are this king's disciple, his ways are not below us. In fact, his ways of grace and humility is where true glory is found, not in puffing ourselves up and defeating our enemy, but loving our enemy. Dear Christian, you have no need to fight or grow embitter by outsiders. You have a king who will put all things right one day. And so your task is simply to entrust your soul to him as our Christ did to his father. And may you give yourself to humble and grace-filled conduct. As you walk Christ's walk, you will show that you are a child of the King. So let your speech be gracious and your heart open towards those who despise you. For Christ is gracious and His heart is ever open for you. And with such a character, Christ's gospel will go forth in the power of the new creation, not in the death of the old. So then, in conclusion... Evangelism, I think we can all say, is one of those duties that reveal where our hearts actually lie. But we often see the old man still living in our hearts, don't we? We don't want those open doors because we sometimes fear man, his opinion, his time rather than God's. We don't want open hearts because our name and glory are more important to us oftentimes, not Christ's glory. Or his example. But, dear brothers and dear sisters, through the power of the Spirit, if our minds are devoted to Christ alone, we see clearly what God is doing. His gospel is going forth with power, not the power of the old age, which is doomed to frustrate and disappoint, but it goes with the power of the new creation, with conviction of Christ's lordship and the power of love even sinners. May His kingdom come, dear brothers and sisters, not ours. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that our kingdom is not of ourselves, but is wholly other. It is about the transcendent God above coming down 
condescending in love towards rebels and showing them grace. May we, of all peoples, your worthless servants, be those, be those who show grace, knowing that our King sits on His throne and Lord, that we would share this grace of the gospel with all who come in our path. Oh, Father, forgive us for having an open mind and allowing ourselves to fill and puff ourselves up. Father, help us through your Spirit to have our minds solely focused upon Christ and his glory, not our own. And so may indeed your kingdom come and not our own, all to your infinite and perfect praise. We ask these things in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.